0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the anime podcast. This week we're taking a very snappy look at the FCA's business plan which was released this week. Uh, Here to do that with me is Jack Gilbert, our chief reporter. Jack, you join us in the delightfully shiny surroundings of our brand new purpose-built CityWire studio, in which hot drinks are banned and late-night guitar practice is definitely frowned upon. Nevertheless, it's good to see you. How are you today? I am very well, thank you very much, Holly. We should just explain for readers that we've had a hellish week trying to put together a magazine in just, just three days. Uh, So it's nice to be able to sit down, relax and chat. Um, I shan't keep you long. It is, of course, a podcast recording, and nobody gets away from that without doing the weekly quiz, Jack, which this week is all about the FCA. The FCA. Um, yes, it's the UK's big bad wolf of a regulator. If you're failing to disclose your correct transaction information on swaps and shares, it's gonna come and blow your house down. I don't really understand what that means, but <laughs> <laughs> the question is: how much do you know about the city watchdog? Shall we begin? I'm nervous. You should be. Uh, question one. When did the F uh, when, when did the Financial Services Authority turn into the Financial Conduct Authority as we now know it? 2013. Correct. Uh, The FSA started in 2001 and became the FCA in 2013 following the banking crisis. Uh, Question two. Very good, Jack. What was the original name of the FSA way back in 1985 when it was founded? Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Financial? No. It was the Securities and Investments Board or the the SIB, which sounds actually quite soviet so yeah, i was gonna say quite quite russian yes given that it was heralded in by margaret thatcher uh the thatcherite era of regulation which i dare say was pretty light touch and not entirely <laughs> comprehensive <laughs> uh, greed is good or so they told us at the time i say us i wasn't alive moving on uh question three andrew bailey do you remember a time when he wasn't chief executive of the fca jack I do. Very vaguely, yes. What was his predecessor called? Tracy McDermott. Correct, that's right. She was interim CEO between 2015 and 2016 following the departure of Martin Wheatley. She went on to, A, get a CBE, B, work at Standard Chartered as Head of Corporate, Public and Regulatory Affairs, which I, I think is just the greatest, greatest example of gamekeeper-to-poaching Yeah, and and st- well, Although
1: Standard Chartered were fined by the FCA last week for like £100 million for something which I can't remember. So that adds another dimension
0: to I'm that. sure it involves allegations that they strenuously <laughs> deny. Well, yeah. <laughs> for context. But uh, glad to hear that that worked out a sterling success. Uh, question four, pensions. Transfers out of the FCA's defined benefit pension scheme last year rocketed by 266% to reach what figure? And it's in the millions, obviously. 35 million? It's actually way less than that. It's 18 million. The number of people transferring out of the DB scheme more than doubled between the 2016-17 and 2017-18 financial years from 15 to 38. The value of transfers out of the scheme grew uh, to 18.3 million in 2016-17 compared with just $5 million in 2017-18. So that is a 266% year-on-year increase. Fact. Uh, question five. See if you can get this right. In 2015, we reported that the FCA had amassed an art collection worth more than A, £250,000, B, £600,000, or C, £800,000. Which one? 250. Mm-mm. Ugh have another guess 600 850 it's more than 800,000 pounds the collection includes or included at the time work by new media artist Diane Harris that cost 10 grand and the owl
1: as well and
0: the owl correct um which i think is one of the reasons why andrew bailey was hired for the job <laughs> <laughs> because it sort of fits you know. He kind
1: of looks a bit like an owl. He does look
0: a bit like the owl. or a tortoise. Though I'm sure that's an allegation he would strenuously <laughs> deny. Uh, now, Jack, that was all fun and games, but we are here, of course, to discuss one thing and one thing only, and that is the FCA's business plan published yesterday. It comes up to e- it's coming up to Easter, so are there any Easter eggs in the stuff they put out? Do you think?
1: Easter eggs. Yeah, uh, I don't think uh, IFAs out there would describe anything the FCA publishes <laughs> ever really as an Easter egg. Although there was perhaps one minor exception in, in this instance, the FCA published a consultation on their uh, regulation advice fees, um, regulation fees for advisors alongside the business plan, which actually show a 1.1% reduction in the fees advisors are going to pay to the to the fca as part of their regulation fees so that's i suppose a, a very a minor minor small easter egg i would mm. say for advisors out there in fact that the, their, their payments to, to the fca for, as part of the levy have, have decreased slightly so that is a small bonus i think for, of course for advisors and it, out there. but
0: it giveth with one hand and taketh away take with it, another yeah, because so, what jack
1: because uh, alongside the decrease to advice advisors' regulation fees, they are increasing the levy um, for the government's guidance bodies with the creation of the new guidance service MAPS, the Money and Pension Service, uh, which has basically doubled um, to 4 point something million uh, for, for advisors out there. So that's so the, the, and obviously the, the net effect of these changes is probably going to be quite minimal for advisors out there. But at least I think we are seeing, and I think there was a, a general tone in the paper, that they, the FCL are very cognizant of the the burden in in terms of on, on both of regulation and also mm. costs for for advisors and firms out there so i think certainly there is that 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 is a tone of of kind of not wanting to place too much onerous on onerous demands on on advisors out there about providing more costs to the mm. regulator. so that is certainly a general theme that just kind of picked up from yesterday
0: sure i actually agree I, and i think i i'm sure advisors will disagree with me when i say this but i actually think that the business plan was actually a relatively humble one for reasons i shall come on to in a bit um let's get the big macro political issue out of the way uh, what did the business plan have to say about brexit
1: so yeah brexit was was featured quite highly in, in the business plan um it's the the tone i think from from Anju bailey and from charles randall the new the new chairman was their focus is about Making sure there's going to be an orderly brexit you mm-hmm. know I think when they were writing this a few weeks ago a few months ago probably we were expected to leave on the 29th of March possibly without a deal yeah so you know from from the FCA's perspective their obvious focus and from 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 politicians and from the public was to kind of ensure that if that did happen if we did leave that we would leave on in an orderly way so that is is very much the focus I think I think yeah, there has been a lot of work behind the scenes the FCA' has been doing with banks and, and big Big financial services firms, in order to, to ensure that their plans are properly in place for a possible no de- no deal Brexit. So I think the the very the focus really from the FCA recently and in the business plan is about this kind of smooth orderly transition. I think what 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 wasn't there was this kind of idea about the future of regulation, you know. Mm. And I think that's partly because of, of, of Brexit, they don't know what's going to happen in the next two or three years. Yeah. Um. So therefore they can't really plan for the long term. Therefore the focus. Really, in the business plan, was around ensuring um, that, that if, if and when Brexit happens, that it will happen in a smooth and orderly way when it comes to financial services. So that was that was kind of the, the tone from from the paper yesterday.
0: Sure, and, and just for listeners at home, uh, for some context, uh, you may remember the business plan last year, which said that uh, Brexit would cost the regulatory body thirty million quid in 2019. 14 million pounds of which it said could be found by quotes reprioritizing delaying or reducing non-critical activity uh, and finding more effective ways to deliver regulatory requirements which i think is kind of fascinating really i, I mean for a regulator uh, serving and uh, overseeing the markets uh, i struggle to see what it might define as non-critical activity beyond perhaps cutting down on its presumably huge intake of earl grey tea in the office um but uh, we've had no No further input from the FCA on that, and I can't say I'm surprised. Uh, The FCA says its current Brexit priorities include supporting a smooth transition post-Brexit, as you say, strengthening our international engagement with fellow regulatory bodies, uh, and assessing the impact of EU withdrawal on the industry and consumers. And it's that second one that interests me most, because uh, you may remember a story that we published with Nikki Morgan, the Treasury Select Committee chair back end of last year, where she I thought quite candidly revealed that, in her opinion the fca 's efforts to liaise with its regulatory counterparts on the continent had been, in her own words frustrated uh, by uh, people in brussels basically mm. so i I wonder just how um, I wonder just how successful the fca feels it is being yeah obviously it's subject to external sure
1: and i think what something that has been happening is we've seen more press releases from from the fca about their relationships with you know australian regulators or american regulators so Mm. i think probably stemming from the political um tone of of government there is this kind of you know (laughs) there is an onus on the rate on the fca to, to kind of be more global in terms of looking at other regulators around the world and not just in europe yeah and i think it comes back to that point of you know because no one knows what's going to happen with Brexit, no one knows what the future kind of regulation in this country is going to be like. There could be it could it could well be the case that we have a no deal Brexit at some point, mm. although maybe that's looking less likely now. Um, in which case, you you, could, you would see you could see a kind of a, a right wing Tory government rise up and push for is kind of deregulated Singapore style kind of model that that certainly quite a few in the the conservatives have been pushing for and if that is the case then you know it's all kind of all all bets are off in terms of Andrew Bailey and where the FCA is going because you would see massive cutbacks in in regulation or that's what certain politicians would be pushing for so it, it comes back to that point of because we don't know where Brexit is going it's very hard for the FCA to plan long term about their long term kind of kind of ambitions there so it's a bit of a weird time for the regulator mm. and for financial services firms as well of course
0: yeah and it's very interesting to hear the example of you know Australia as, as a you know potential conversation for the British regulator because as we all know the markets in Australia uh, in financial advice investment uh, and fund management are working perfectly fine <laughs> and nothing has ever gone wrong yeah gosh I'm in a snide mood today um Let's just move on to uh, DB transfers. We spoke a little bit about uh, the FCA's own scheme, but it is, of course, very concerned about what's going on generally outside of its own office. Um, The FCA gave another stay of execution to the idea of a ban on contingent charging last year. Uh, But it seems like they may still change their minds on this, Jack. Are we just going round and round in circles?
1: I I think we are. I'd, I'd be surprised if the FCA came out with a ban on contingent charging this summer. Um, it was a little bit surprising that they said in the business plan, they said they essentially said that um, although we didn't decide to ban on it last year, the Work and Pension Select Committee has kindly re- itself done a review into this mm. um, is- is- issue, kind of putting a bit more pressure on the FCA to look again at it. And therefore, they are going to analyze again what they've found and potentially con- have a consultation on this in the summer. I think again, but I it would be surprising that they if they did that because essentially that is very that is very closing the door after the stable after closing the stable door after the horse has kind of bounded down the hill over the past the village and and off into a distant <laughs> faraway land because you've seen this huge period of massive amounts of DB transfers for three or four years now they're starting to tail off for the FCA then to come around in the summer and say look guys we, we realise now after doing a number of <laughs> Uh, yeah. pieces of work and consultations and reviews that we should have banned contingent charging, we're going to ban contingent charging on DB transfers but oh wait, the DB transfer market is kind of completely you know, withered away um, it would look a little bit foolish I think on the regulators behalf for them to do that but then again who knows you yeah. know, it, it, we, we, there is still a lot of possibilities out It would there.
0: be like Lawrence Llewellyn-Bone coming up to us right now and saying hey guys I've got this great idea for some fashion, shoulder pads uh, and we're like, but that's from the 80s, uh, Lawrence. The, the, as you say, the, the horse has already bolted. It's <laughs> on a deck chair in the Algarve, smoking a cigar, and relaxing it in its retirement. Um, very, very interesting. Um, let's just move on to the retirement outcomes review. I mean, in comparison to all the sort of bigger Brexit uh, stuff and the market intervention stuff surrounding DB transfers, I mean, I feel like this is relatively unexciting, but it's a key part of... Uh, the interaction that life and pensions companies in particular have with the fca um i see from the business plan that they're sticking with the investment pathways idea obviously to the chagrin of some companies who believe it will lead to savers disengaging from the process (laughs) hargreaves lands um to what extent do we think that the investment pathways idea is is actually gonna have a good impact on the mass market
1: um i think it possibly will have a decent impact on some consumers so um the investment pathway essentially was the fca saying in the retirement outcome review that for different types of savers um going into non-advised drawdown providers need to provide um a a kind of formulaic off-the-shelf model in terms of charges and investment um solutions for those savers so i think you know for for customers who who are taking um Regular income, there needs to be it's kind of certain, you know, protection there in terms of, uh, you know, looking at uh, active funds to kind of pre- try and uh, prevent, you know, big sequencing risk um, for for customers who are taking ad hoc withdrawals and building up and saving up uh, pots for for kind of later in their retirement. There needs to be different solutions. So it's kind of there's there's I think it was three different um, pathways which the FCA. Had brought up for for savers, and I think it's, it is a sensible approach. I think there's a lot of savers going into non advised drawdown. No one really knows what's what solutions they're being put into. I think a lot of the time they're being put into their default solution because they're not engaged with the provider. Mm. They just want the tax-free cash, yeah, which is creating going to create issues because they they're probably not in the right investments. They're probably not having they probably don't have charges which are suitable for 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 what their their needs are in retirement. So. I think it's it's positive the FCA is doing this and I think I think it's I think it could have a, a, a decent effect. I think the, the bigger problem is just that engagement idea that if consumers aren't really engaged with their retirement saving, even if they're defaulted into slightly better options at the end of the day, they needs they need to take proactive action or they need advice uh, to kind of have this kind of laissez faire kind of let's go into an advice drawdown, take take off tax-free cash and see what happens. Uh, attitude i think is not really going to wash particularly when db starts to to kind of run out so i think it's good the fca is looking at this i think it's it's possibly more of a more of a fundamental um, it's kind of avoiding more of a fundamental change which would be to kind of force people to either take advice or for um yeah i think i think that that's possibly another option here i think it's been suggested to me by people like anthony morrow that that we should, the kind of issue be mandatory advice at a retirement age, mm. which obviously would be <laughs> heavily criticized by some in the industry. But, and the tabloids, and which the,
0: are, we know the FCA are always keen not to annoy. Yeah, them. I mean, the
1: Telegraph would, would, wouldn't be very happy about this. But I think the issue the FCA are going to have in the next five, ten years is savers who don't have very much in their pension pots, they're not engaged with their retirement planning, they're not engaged with their retirement, and they're being put into, still being put into, Non-advised drawdown by the providers at their request and that is going to create issues further down the line because people are going to run out of money.
0: Mm. It's interesting. I was at home a few weeks ago for my birthday and uh, I very nosily spied a a wake-up pack on uh, the desk upstairs uh, for my dad uh, who has a pension with an unnamed uh, provider with the names Royal London in the title uh and uh I thought it was really interesting the way that they had uh conveyed uh his options to him surrounding uh drawdown surrounding annuities. I thought the language was actually pretty clear um but it strikes me that uh you can't you can't rely solely on the semantics of communication uh to sort this out that there has to be some form of you know, more concrete action. Yeah, I think, I think it's very much, it's
1: a cultural thing. It's, you know, you can have, I think simple, having simpler welcome packs, which is something the FCA has, has kind of introduced is a very good thing and very, you know, it could create a really, real good impact on certain savers. But at the end of the day, you know, we're moving from DB to DC from, to auto enrollment and what this needs is savers from an early age from in their not in their fifties, but in their forties and their thirties to take control of their pension pots and to, you know, get that those pension pots where they want them to be, to be engaged in the investments and in the, the planning side of things. And then to get to a position where they get to a time where they've got a decent pot and they know what they've got a plan, they know what they're going to do with it or they get advice. Um, and, that needs to happen. And I think we need to see a sea change from government, from regulators, from the public in terms of how people approach pension saving. Mm. And I think this is yeah, this is something the SCA have kind of they haven't really been grappling with at the moment, but they they need to grapple with it at some point. It mm. needs to be this. And I think things like the pension dashboard could could help. Yeah. But there needs to be a big change in our cultural kind of tendencies, I think, here.
0: Yeah. Very very Little said about the dashboard in in the business plan. I mean, two paragraphs only for the you know DWP's flagship tech saving policy. Um, it does it seemed very very uh, vague? When the FCA just said, "Well, we plan to work closely with the DWP on this." I mean, who doesn't plan to work closely with the DWP on this? So uh, I expect further delays Except the there. Except for the Treasury, yes, who, of course, wash the hands of everything <laughs> but still meddle whenever they want to. Um, let's just talk about scams a second because that's something that the FCA flagged in the business plan, but particularly concerning um, DFMs.
1: Yeah, so that was that was raised again. I mean, it's something we've, you know, any model Adviser, I'd like to say we've been writing about this for, for a number of years now. You and know. you
0: have too, Jack, <laughs> I, you know, I, I as, have. A, as an expert.
1: <laughs> uh, so I know, I think the first story about a, a dodgy DFM broke in in, in kind of 2016. Um, uh, six months later, the FCA put out a warning um, saying we're worried that scams are being hidden in DFMs, in, in corporate bonds, in DFMs. Mm. Um, we've seen another, another number of high-profile cases of, of um, fairly dodgy investments being placed in DFMs since then. Um, there's been stories, you know, kind of going through through the wires um, the last 12, mo- 18 months. Again, they they mentioned that there's, they've seen an increase um, in, in, in investment scams being put into DFMs. I, I would say from where I was sitting, I don't think there's been much of an increase. I think it's been going on for for quite a long, yeah. quite a long time now. And I also think, you know, I think when the FCA put that warning out in 2017, they said that scams were evolving um, from, from being kind of just SIP, USITs, yeah. Uses in sips to kind of being these corporate bonds held in DFMs, where you know you can't see exactly what's what's under under the um, the bonnet. I think inevitably scams are evolving again. They're continuing to evolve. I think I would be very surprised if we didn't see kind of an end to scams in DFMs and a rise of scams elsewhere. And I think we're already seeing that with um, instances of um, these. Uh, isa scams particularly with the finance ices and particularly with you know these kind of these corporate bonds which are held in these guaranteed eight percent return uh isa investments which are being heavily marketed online mm. on the tube almost everywhere at the moment mm. and obviously we've seen this very high profile case of, of london capital and finance collapsing um this year which the fca did mention in the business plan um so this is kind of i think the real area of concern when it comes to scams is, is isa investments
0: mm, that's very interesting um and as you say london capital and, london capital and finance uh, does get a mention in the business plan um and to come back to what i was saying earlier i do think that was sort of a very you know the way in which that blew up was probably very inconveniently timed for the regulator but it seems to have uh, been relatively transparent about uh, learning from its failings the ft reported i think two weeks ago that the FCA was appointing a kind of external uh, investigator yeah, so to this, look at this its is, own failings. This is after
1: Nicky Morgan uh, yeah. wrote to the Treasury and to the FCA to ask for it, the FCA have appointed an external independent um, figure or body to, 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 to investigate the way it handled mm. London Capital and Finance. I mean, I actually think personally the FCA has been getting perhaps a bit too much stick about London Capital and Finance. I think mm. the issue the regulators got here is a couple of things. A, there are so many of these. Um, firms out there marketing these kind of eight percent guaranteed ISA investments at, and to miss one or to to, to not properly kind of yeah. shut down one obviously has caused a huge amount of consumer detriment, but it 's just a difficult task when there 's so many of these firms who are just starting up and are marketing heavily on, on online um, and you know every OBC that they 're marketing heavily, so it is a difficult task to regulate here and the second thing, which was something else which was mentioned in the business plan, is that these firms um, are some of the, some parts of the, what they do are regulated. Other parts are not regulated. They're kind yeah. of in this in this limbo land. Yep. In the case of London Capital and Finance, um, I understand that it was regulated um, to issue the mini bond, but it wasn't regulated to market the mini bond. Um, mm. And because. So so what effectively happened was they badged up the the small part of their FCA authorization heavily on their literature and on, the, on the website, yeah. which gave the, the consumers and the public a, a general feeling that this is a safe company you can trust. Yeah. But they weren't authorized to market the mini bonds or to, to kind of sell or advise on the mini bonds. Um, and therefore, that, A, that's meant that consumers don't have the recourse to go to the financial services compensation scheme mm. to get money back. And it's also meant that you know they've kind of and this was what I think something Andrew Bailey said before, and was something that was um, in the business plan as well, is that firms are kind of using their FCA authorization in one place as a kind of um, as a golden ticket to say, look to the public, we're FCA authorized, we can do, we can, you can trust us, even though they may only have an authorization for a small part of what they do. Mm. I think in the area of Isis, this is the big challenge because you don't have to get advice to invest in an ISA mm. and you don't have to be um, authorized to to market in investment ISAs you know these these mini bond ISAs we're seeing out there so it is it's a difficult spot for the regulator and they kind of said that they need to look at the perimeter of where regulation lies in this area they need to look at i think they're going to produce some kind of annual statement around around this if there needs to be any kind of changes if they need to bring all of these firms and all of these investment vehicles under that regulation under the authorization regime because there's this kind of lim- limbo land at the
0: moment mm, how interesting and i'm sure jack that oh, should there be any changes that you'd be well on top of them um thank you very much for your insight today i'm afraid that brings us to the end of this week's episode uh, but suffice to say, if you've enjoyed what we do with our podcast, then please do subscribe online and leave us a lovely review. Thanks in advance. All that remains to be said is is do get in touch if you have any news, views, or opinions you'd like to share with us, or in particular, any experience of dealing with a regulator, you can do so anonymously. Uh, email them to news at citywide.co.uk, or maybe even send us a letter. Um, or you can berate me directly over the phone if you wish. Um, but if not, just tune in next time. So until then, it's thanks and goodbye.